Welcome to the latest episode of Schnepps Connects. Today, we're going to talk about Brooklyn and much of the good work that's done in the borough. So I have with me today a guest who I also call a friend, Dr. Justin Rees, who's president and CEO of Brooklyn Community Foundation, overseeing and developing strategic initiatives that embody the foundation's deep commitment to racial justice. The Brooklyn Community Foundation is the first and only public foundation solely dedicated to Brooklyn working in partnership with generous donors and community leaders to advance racial justice and bolster vital nonprofits. Since its founding in 2009, the foundation and its donors have provided over 75 million, that's right, $75 million in grants to nonprofits in Brooklyn and beyond. Previously, Dr. Rainey was executive vice president and chief administrative officer for the Brooklyn Navy Yard Development Corporation, where she led workforce development, administration, security, and human resource strategies for the organization. So Jocelyn, it's great to have you with me. Thank you so much. So glad to be here, Josh. Thanks for having me. So, you know, you were kind enough to invite me, I guess it was your annual gala where you had some tremendous community leaders and uh, celebrities even speak and talk on your mission, but you really gave an opportunity to show where the money was going. And I thought that was so powerful to hear the stories of these nonprofit organizations, A, their mission, but B, really what that money meant to them. And it meant a lot. So yeah. I would love for you maybe just to share a little bit about the foundation in terms of its you know, history and mission. I love that you said that. And thank you so much for joining me at the Spark Prize Breakfast. Um, And you're right. Like storytelling is everything. Like understanding what our borough needs, what what the community needs is hugely important to the work that we do. And like you said, the Community Foundation was founded 12 years ago. And as a community foundation, we are hyper focused on Brooklyn. Brooklyn is a huge borough. It would be the fifth largest city if it was a city. And there is just so much need. And there's so much opportunity and resources in Brooklyn. And I think that the foundation, through its mission to address racial justice through the nonprofit sector, has really been able to tap into that. Firstly, folks in Brooklyn who want to support Brooklyn-based nonprofits who want to support their communities, and then also to be able to identify those nonprofits that are bringing the vital resources that communities need, that are working with communities on advocacy and organizing and direct service, which is really, which is hugely important. Foundation has over 125 million in assets. We have several donor-advised funds, which really shows that Brooklyn residents want to support work in Brooklyn and are very philanthropic. We actually give close to $10 million a year. And then we have our huge Spark Breakfast, which gives over $500,000 to nonprofits that are doing the work in Brooklyn. And we do this all in a manner where they can, it's all general operating, so they can use the money for whatever they need it for. We don't have a really um, rigorous application process because we know that nonprofits just need to get the money and get it out. And we do it over multi-year grants as well. So we don't just fund you one year, we make sure that our grants are three years. And we make sure that we're, you know, we make sure that we're doing it in a way that is really supporting the community. Well, you know, it's great, you know, my business being media and covering local things, you know, it's always great to see when things had impact, you know, a lot of people give money and, you know, it's going to a good cause, but you don't necessarily know where the money's going. 
And one of the things I could tell quickly with the foundation is like, you know where the money's going and you see the tangible results. We see the results. And we also understand our responsibility not to just give money, but also to create opportunities for the nonprofits to be able to tell their stories to community members like you who also might want to support their work and also giving them access to capacity building initiatives where they can work on things like that they need, that their nonprofits need like learning grant writing or, um, you know, how to connect to donors. So we have an array of services that we provide for our nonprofits. And part of that is just putting them on our platform so people know the work that's being done. And I will say from someone who has lived in Brooklyn all of her life, I live in Bedford-Stuyvesant, I raised my kids there, that I didn't know the, the huge number of nonprofits that are doing the work that folks need. And as I learned about that, it made me more in tune to what our community needs as well. So we want to be able to create those opportunities for nonprofits in general to be able to tell the stories like you saw at the Spark Prize, where we can say, wow, we know exactly where those where those monies are going and who's doing the work and what those are. And so with that, I'm going to be doing a listening tour soon where I'm going to be going across Brooklyn to kind of hear from communities, like what are your challenges in your communities? You know, what do you need and who's doing the work already so that we know who we should be supporting? Yeah, I think you make a really good point is that a lot of nonprofits, I mean, whether it's lack of staffing, lack of funding or plain lack of time, just don't have the organizational skills to fill out applications and to find sources of funding that might be available to them. So I love the fact that you're getting out into the community to kind of hear who's doing what and what's, you know, difference is going to be made. Yeah, during COVID, Josh, we gave over $6 million to nonprofits during COVID. And we had an application that had three questions because we wanted to make sure that that funding got into the communities as fast as we got it. Mm -hmm. So it was a really like, you know, fast moving time for the foundation as far as like looking at those three questions and making sure they got a check so that they can give the vital resources that people needed during that time back into the community. So I'm so proud of the fact that it's not just me, it's a whole team that is committed to not having these rigorous processes that keep nonprofits from actually being able to get the resources they need. And to what you said, they don't have the organizational structure, they don't have the funding, they don't, many of them don't have grant writers. They don't have someone who can dedicate their full time to being out there doing development. And what that means is during times when there's crisis, it's like, like COVID, what happens is that those nonprofits disappear that are bringing those vital resources because they can't get the funding in. So we need more philanthropy to think about how do we get the resources into the nonprofits? How do we do trust-based philanthropy is what we do. And then also how do we use the community to inform us on who is actually doing the work in Canarsie where I'm going on Friday. You know, I don't live there. I don't know who's doing the work in Sunset Park where we know we have, you know, a strong Asian community. I don't know that. They know. And so we need to trust the community to be able to tell us, you know, what what is needed in their community. Talk to me about participatory grant making. You know, why is the foundation doing and and what exactly is it? I was hoping that that was going to lead to that question. (laughs) So I'm hugely proud of the fact that we are the only um, community foundation that does 100% participatory grant making across all of our portfolios. And what that means is that the community that is impacted by the issue or that lives in that area, they make the decision on where the money should go. 
So, of course, it's a very structured process where we have an application, an open application process, and we bring on people who become an advisory committee for our different portfolios. So we have an invest in youth portfolio where we do grant making across all issue areas for youth. So it could be young people who are LGBTQ, who are having housing instability, food insecurity, criminal justice, like all of these issue areas for young people. The same with immigrant rights. And then we have an elders fund. We just finished a wellness and recovery fund as well. And in each one of those portfolios, there's an advisory committee that is comprised of community members who have been impacted by that issue, who are in that demographic. And they're the ones that after we vet the applications to make sure they meet the criteria, that they're the ones who go through a process to decide where those monies go. And it's really interesting to hear from them. Like they understand things that we don't think about, right? Like I'm not in those communities. So to hear a young person say, you know, I look at things like young people who are who who identify as LGBTQ, who end up homeless because of, you know, not being able to be home and making sure they have housing stability, right? Or to hear someone who's been a young person who has been impacted by the criminal justice system saying, I know that this organization is an organization that's doing the kind of work that we need, or in our wellness and recovery fund, to hear people say that people who are, you know, are battling drug misuse They also need harm. They also need to know harm reduction where we're trying to keep them safe while we're trying to get them healthy. So it's really important to us that the community is the one that is dictating where these monies should go. And of course, it's, you know, there's a process involved, but at the end of the day, it's their decisions. And the same with our Spark Prize. Our Spark Prize is also comprised by community members, Brooklyn community across all of Brooklyn to decide where those monies go. I mean, so I'm, I'm so I, proud of that. Yeah, I love how grassroots it is because you're really getting down to the community level. Talk to me specifically about racial justice and how it's important in terms of how you do your work and how the organization goes about its process of finding these causes. We know the damage that structural racism has done across our country, what it's done in our in our communities in Brooklyn, we know what's happened, you know, due to redlining. We know that people of color are particularly marginalized. And that for me personally, I think a lot about this huge wealth gap between white Americans and black Americans and other minorities. And really also thinking about, you know, there's research that talks about what does it mean to be a black leader in a nonprofit and that they're not getting as much funding and they're the ones who are doing the work in those communities. Mm -hmm. So being really specific and intentional about where our monies go around racial justice and the work that folks are doing in order to undo some of the structural racism or make sure that people have the resources that they need in order to be successful, in order to live the American dream is, is part of how we think about this work. So we look at all of our work through a racial justice lens. And it's hugely important for us to look at that across all of Brooklyn. Like, what are you doing in your nonprofit to undo structural racism? What are you doing in order to make sure that people have the stability that they need? And that's how I think about it, right? Like the stability they need to be successful. And that means, you know, thinking about things like, you know, if we have an organization focused on food insecurity or housing, that level of stability helps people to be successful. When you think about the statistics around who is being displaced, what does it mean to, you know, to leave a prison or a jail 
and have to live in a shelter and get moved from shelter to shelter. So you can't keep a job because you have a job in Brooklyn and now you're moving somewhere else. So for us, we look at all of our work through that lens. You know, I feel like for years, there's always been need, always at the end of the day. But these past two years, I feel like have changed needs because of the pandemic. I mean, it's impacted everyone. It's like the first, maybe one of the first things, I guess, in my lifetime anyway, that's impacted everybody that you know, no matter where they live. But how has that changed the process in terms of finding the organizations that that are addressing those kinds of needs? I think that, you know, firstly, it's still, you know, looking at it through our portfolios and thinking about like who is addressing the needs and understanding what those needs are. I was just talking to an organization today, and this, I want to say they were footprints, but I was talking to um, to an organization today that works in the um, ultra-Orthodox community, and they were talking about how the camp pandemic impacted that community in regards to, you know, housing and those issues and like across communities. COVID has had such a significant impact on communities, more joblessness. Then you're adding on the pressures of mental health issues around COVID, child care issues, parents who are now have to go to work and they have children who have to go to school. And also thinking about people who are leaving the criminal justice system and now can't go into a job right away. And the other issue is also we also fund a nonprofit that is focused on, you know, those people that are doing food work in the city. And they were talking about, you know, the city not coming back to work. How did that impact, you know, those vendors, right? Like street vendors, right? And so there's just so many different issues that have arisen um, due to the pandemic across all these areas that we would never have thought about before. And then how do we support them as well? One of my coworkers is a schmoozer. He he gets to talk to everybody and he has like a really good relationship with the coffee stand outside because him and I have in common. I like to give my money to the small coffee vendor rather than the big chains. So he's like, he knows that that coffee vendor has four kids, you know, and yep. you think about like, you know, that they are able to keep a, you know, a roof over that family's head with the, that and how important it is to support these, you know, small businesses and how difficult the last couple of years have been for many people that rely on basic things like foot traffic. Yep, exactly. And you you think about, you know, the fact that we're not ever going to go back probably to full capacity. And what does that mean for those families? And that there are nonprofits that I didn't know about that are actually serving that community as well. So it's, you know, there's been a lot of different impacts across. And I too, it's funny to hear you say about the small, I too go to the small coffee um, truck. And I'm also like a huge, I always say this, a huge user of my local bodega, because I think it's important to support those small local businesses that are in your community. A hundred percent. Let's talk about your recent partnership with New York Attorney General Letitia James. So it's really focused on helping Brooklyn communities impacted by addiction and substance misuse. So, So talk to me about that relationship. So firstly, we were so grateful that the Attorney General knew to use the foundation in this way. And the wonderful thing about it is that even though we were given this $2.3 million, I believe, um, in order to do this work and to identify nonprofits to take this money and give it, it was a program that misused Medicaid dollars. We were given those monies to give it to programs that were doing that work and doing it and doing it well in Brooklyn. And what we did was we did the same thing we do across all of our um, portfolios is it was a participatory grant making process 
where we spoke to people who were impacted by drug misuse. Um, we talked to nonprofits and folks who worked in those nonprofits that do the work every single day and went through a process in order to give grants to those community-based organizations that were doing this work. And many of those organizations, what they told us is what I talked about earlier, is that there's a huge need for more funding around harm reduction. How do we make sure that when we're in the communities and we're serving this population, that we're not only, you know, working towards people not misusing drugs, that we're also trying to make sure they're safe while they're getting to that point of being healthy. So it was a huge impact for the community, but it was also really impactful for us as the not as the community foundation that the attorney general and her office thought that we were the right people to do this work with her. So we're really proud of that. That's fantastic. Well, you know, part of my question in terms of how other people can help and maybe give towards the foundation, maybe you can answer that, but also just give a point in terms of one of these many organizations that you've supported that you could share maybe briefly just what that story was of how it helped them. Because I feel like, again, that breakfast had such an impact on me. And your speech was amazing. You know, the keynote speaker was amazing. But hearing those stories was like, oh, I get it. I see how you're doing amazing work to really help people. So can you share maybe one of your favorite organizations um, or one that you think think just stands out in your mind? Yeah, I think that, you know, what stands out in my mind right this moment is Black Women's Blueprint, who was one of the SPARC honorees and um, also one of the first nonprofits that I heard speak in one of our board meetings. And just thinking about, you know, the disparities in health care for women of color and what that means to women of color and having a nonprofit that is focused on that is hugely important and being able to make sure that women of color are not only healthy when it comes to reproductive health, which they're hugely um, focused on as well, but also making sure that they're healthy spiritually and overall and what it means to be, what that means for communities and what that means for our communities where mothers are hugely important and women are hugely important And just, you know, the space from which they come and doing this work. So I am really proud that we are focused on organizations like that one. Um, Also spoke to an organization, um, the Queer Detainee, where, you know, these are issue areas that even I, as a Black woman, didn't realize these are issue areas that we need to address to make sure that we have healthy communities. And the Queer Detainee is one is in our immigrants' rights um, portfolio. And they work with people that are LGBTQ that are detained as they enter our country and what that means, who are identifying in that way that are already marginalized. And when they and they work with them from that point to when they get to the city and then also, you know, helping them to be able to like realize their dreams, to get jobs, to, you know, they were talking about one of their clients who is a caterer who caters for their events. So really creating that space to take care of people in general is something that I'm really impressed with across the board by the nonprofits and that there's so many nonprofits that are deeply impacting our communities through the, through the work that they do that many of us don't think about because we're not in those spaces on a day-to-day basis. So in order for us to do our work, we're hugely, hugely reliant on our donors And what I find also so inspiring is that there's so many people that care about the work, care about Brooklyn and want to know more. You can always learn more on our um, on our website, um, brooklyncommunityfoundation.org. 
And there you'll find many ways to kind of engage with us as, you know, a volunteer. You'll find our advisory committee application there if you're interested in any of the advisory committee um, work. You'll um, be able to look at, you know, our portfolios um, and where we do our work and, and what areas we do our work in. Um, so there's always opportunities there. And the other great thing that I, the other great way to support the work that we do while also being able to support things that you believe in is that we have a donor advised fund program and our donor advisors, we can manage your um, philanthropic giving hmm. through our donor advised funds. And you know that at the end of the day, your fees go through to all of the work that we do in Brooklyn. So while you're still giving to the things you care about, you're also giving back to Brooklyn and all the work that we do as well. Well, you know, you're doing such great work and it has to be fulfilling to know that you're serving such a great purpose. And they're lucky to have you because, you know, you're a strong, smart, positive woman that makes things happen. I know that. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate you. And, you know, it's always good to be seen. So I just want you to know that I really appreciate you saying that. Well, I mean, it. I mean, it's always good to see you and talk to you. So I wish you well with the foundation and hopefully a lot more people will give. Same here. Thank you so much. Thank you for this. To listen to this podcast or any one of our podcasts, visit podcast.schnepsmedia.com or stream us on all major podcast networks.